Welcome to the AD Aesthete, hosted by me, Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of Architectural Digest. Rattan is a climbing palm that has been harvested to make home furnishings for centuries. But strangely, there doesn't seem to have been a book devoted to the material or its airy sense of style until now. London tastemaker Lulu Lytle, co-founder of Sewn Britain, has spent years researching her new book from Rizzoli, Rattan, A World of Elegance and Charm. It is a sweeping survey that takes readers from ocean liner solariums to Paris cafes to Hollywood movies to Buckingham Palace and beyond, anywhere that Rattan has found a home. She joins me on the ADS Theat to talk about the material, the craftsmen who transform it, and the family portrait that features a rattan chair that has delighted her since her childhood. I hope you enjoy the show. Lulu, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm really curious. I, rattan as a material, I think, is something that every one of us listening, every person in the world has probably had something rattan in their house in their childhood hearing that very familiar creak whether it's on your porch or your veranda or your grandparents house what was the first memory that you have of of rattan it's lovely to be talking to you about about it mitch um i i often wonder what the first memory really was because i superimpose um so many things on my memory and I do think it was the, the portrait of my grandfather, which I talk about in the book, which was painted when he was uh, a young man in Cape Town in around 1920. But of course, at the time when I was looking at this portrait, I wouldn't have been aware it was Rattan, but that's um, the first sort of subliminal experience. I think wicker more generally than Rattan, so pieces made from any woven plant material, um, was also quite young because I used to collect baskets as a child, uh, some with lids, some with handles, some very, very simple sort of more fruit bowly baskets. Um, so I suspect that was my first real experience. And I used to keep all my collections of things. I've always been a terrible hoarder and, and they were lined up all around my bedroom with, with um, all my sort of stuff in them. What what was it about the material that made you, let's just say, store your objects in baskets as opposed to boxes? I mean, there, there's something I, I feel very um, seductive about woven objects. Basket making is, is the most primitive of all arts. And it's, uh, it's always sort of held a huge allure. I think probably it is the very sculptural nature of it and the very textural nature. Um, I suspect also then it was actually very inexpensive. I used to buy them from charity shops and from craft centers and they were always very inexpensive. So possibly it was just the accessibility. I like to think it's something more romantic than that, but, but I, I can't be sure. So the development of the book, uh, obviously Sewn has a, a great history and passion for rattan but when did you think it a, a whole book about a material could be possible well i always thought it was something i would do 
in my old age. So I've been researching it for years. It was when I was researching Rattan, actually investigating the sofa that I'd bought and trying to work out who might have made it, that took me down various rabbit holes of, of research. And I then became rather obsessed by it and was spending a huge amount of time looking for books and researching online. And I did then realise that there was no single book devoted to Rattan, lots to Wicca and lots of really good books written in the 60s and 70s in America on, on the larger subject of Wicca, but none um, specifically on Rattan, which is why I thought it would make sense to do one. And then it all sort of was brought forward when, when I was asked to do it about two years ago. What is the difference between Rattan and Wicca? Because I think most of us believe it to be the same thing. Yes, and the, they are used very interchangeably, particularly in America, where Wicca is a, is a very popular term. Wicca is not an actual product, uh, not a plant. It is a product of a plant. Uh, it's the product of any woven plant material, whereas rattan is the material from which Wicca is woven, one of many. It is a, a palm that grows, and the product of weaving rattan is called wicker but but so um so is the product of weaving willow or bamboo or many different plant materials so wicker is like the the all-encompassing umbrella um and rattan is one of the spokes under that used to weave mm. what surprised you when you started researching it i mean because i what surprised me about your book were all the different manufacturers um about whom or about which I, I knew absolutely nothing, such as Dryad. Oh, yes. Well, Dryad is um, one of the great English, the greatest, really. Not, not the first, but definitely the greatest English rattan producer. I think what surprised me most uh, was the extraordinary breadth of designs using rattan. It was almost the plastic of its, of its day, really. Um, it was incredibly um, sculptural. And so it was used by, first of all, by the succession movement and Hoffman designed some marvellous rattan. So sort of circa, sort of just, just after 1900, really, really extraordinary pieces um, were being designed. Henry van der Velde in Germany and Hans Vollmer, who collaborated with Prague, Rudnicker in Vienna. Some really interesting commissions from furniture makers of the great designers of the time who were working in many materials and particularly prized rattan for its flexibility and strength. So I suspect that was what really, really piqued my curiosity was, was just the potential for so many different design styles from this one material. And when you think about all of the the, the designers that you've mentioned who were all sort of on the cutting edge of, of modernism, all embracing this uh, surprisingly organic, bendable, friable, twistable uh, material, which, which in its way is very basic. It's not mahogany. It's not gilt bronze. It's not a rare material. It's, it's a grass that wants to be a tree, you know? I think that's exactly what appealed to so many of those designers and certainly the, the slightly later designers, the mid-century. So the Matagos and probably Franco Albini, certainly Sonio, they, they liked its very sort of low-key personality, which gave more importance to the form 
um, as opposed to the material, as you're saying, completely the opposite of a, of a bronze or um, a rosewood. Mm. Where does it come from? It's a, a palm that grows throughout, uh, a vinous palm that grows throughout Southeast Asia. There are different types of rattan that also are native to India and to Africa, but the, the much the most popular ones uh, come from Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, and historically Singapore was the clearinghouse for, for nearly all rattan that was imported to Europe. But it's never been successfully cultivated in Europe, so it was always imported via Singapore to, to Europe for weaving, particularly to Italy, France, and England. So it would have been grown on plantations purposefully as opposed to harvested in the wild? Well, originally not actually. It was harvested in the wild. It grows incredibly fast, up to 20 feet a year. Um, and it depends on healthy forest because it clambers up and hooks itself into the, the branches of healthy, healthy trees in, in the forest. And it, so it was miserable work cultivating it, really brutal because it has, has some very tough spines. So actually, really in, in the sort of peak of its popularity, it, it wasn't being harvested, rather it was just growing like a weed and, and abundantly. So, so, so they would literally have to climb the trees? Yes. And when, um, when I was looking for a really good photograph of it growing for the book, uh, it was a real challenge, actually, and we ended up showing an illustration because photographs just don't, don't really show it properly because it's constantly entwined and entangled with um, the, the trees in the forest, this very dense forest, and it clambers looking for light. And so it's, its popularity from a plantation point of view is that its dependence on healthy forest is it very sort of successful two-way relationship so it's parasitic exactly yes it it requires that um and yet does no damage so it's really important that that rattan now as a commercial crop is responsibly managed i mean it has now it's obviously far more efficient and and the many advantages are that it safeguards local enterprise and it also reduces the pressure on timber resources it's a really important export from Southeast Asia. But there are plantation challenges now because palm oil has risen in price so dramatically. And so standing crop has been cleared and, and is, is now being planted with palm, palm oil mm. um, in mind, as opposed to allowing successful forestry to continue to, to live with the rattan. I love the photo research on the book because it makes incredibly clear how ubiquitous rattan furniture was across the world, up and down and sideways, in every culture. Everyone seemed to either want it, furnish with it, sell it, live with it. That, that was one of the particular challenges, really, was to find um, photographs that were slightly more quotidienne, because so much of the um, research led me to these very glamorous archives, the Beaton, Horst, Slim Arons. But of course, Rattan is completely ubiquitous across all society. And that was really brought home to me actually when I was walking in the hills in Italy this summer. And you would see Rattan chairs uh, in courtyards, in farmyards. You see it across Mediterranean countries, very, very humble Rattan furniture. But of course, very little of that has been photographed. 
So the book does give an incredibly glamorous atmosphere to Rattan because that is um, the way it's been recorded, but, but actually it is ubiquitous. The nice thing about the book is that you do show it on ocean liners at seaside resorts. There's Elsie DeWolf in a terribly funny pose in a, 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 a big rattan a chaiselong, a hooded chaiselong. Um, so you, you do sort of run the gamut within these glamorous images. Gosh, Mitch, if you could have seen the process of um, choosing from over 5,000 images, I think there was something like perhaps 300 in the book. It was now an impossible deciding. I mean, sometimes decisions were made for us because we couldn't locate the right owner of an image. And often that was rather upsetting, but actually probably quite a relief to have the, the field reduced slightly. That There are so many wonderful photos of brilliant people in Rattan, both formal and informal photos of people on holiday, um, in, in their garden, in lots of wonderful ones, for example, of American railway cars, right across the board. So it really is a very broad look at a subject which I'm continuing to research and um, will hope to sort of be able to release lots more photographs at some point. I love the photograph you uh, posted on Instagram of, of late of uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and a very young Prince Charles with a, a, a rattan uh, chaise long in a garden. Oh, so heavenly, isn't it? That's the um, work of the fantastic Lisa Sheridan, who actually was really groundbreaking in the way she photographed the royal family, incredibly relaxed settings over about a 30 year period in the grounds of Windsor Castle. And her photographs are so utterly charming. And nearly always the rattan furniture that she use, uses in the photographs is made by Dryad, which was the, the great English firm that made much of the rattan furniture for the Titanic. So I know that Sohn has a, a small stable of rattan artisans um, that you've been instrumental in uh, preserving that craft in England. Can you tell me a little bit about exactly how it, rattan has worked? Yes, of course. It, it comes um, it comes into our workshop in bundles, very long bundles, which are then graded. Uh, we only get the very best grade for the furniture because the, the, all the the skill is in picking the the best rattan for each piece. So sometimes one of the the frame makers will take up to two hours to choose the best pieces for a particular design. Comes in lots and lots of different sizes. And there are two very distinct skills for rattan weaving. And any, any craftsman will only ever train or apprentice in one. They're frame making and weaving. There is a third skill, which is the finishing. Again, another independent skill. They select the particular size of, of the canes um, according to the design. And that's particularly important when we're prototyping a piece because you're always balancing strength versus um, sort of fineness of the design. So you don't want to make something too beefy if you're concerned about strength, but then you, you lose something in the, in the um, sort of slender fineness of the design. And then when we've chosen that, uh, the, the relevant canes, they're steam bent in a, in a long machine and steaming for only a few minutes. And then when they come out, you have a sort of 15 minute window with which to manipulate uh, the 
the hot uh, cane to create the shape around jigs and forms just like you do in traditional furniture making. And that creates the first stage, which is when you have all the shaped canes, then they're um, nailed together, always nailed, not glued, and spliced, um, so beautifully cut so that the joins are very, very neat. Uh, and then it goes to the other side of the workshop where they have chosen much, much more slender strands of rattan, which are woven to create the, the mesh-like element. So I always look at the, the frame as a skeleton, and then the flesh is put on by the very fine strands, and they're two entirely different skills. Do the strands have to be steamed as well, or soaked, or in some way to make them more uh, fluid? Yes, to make them more pliable and nicer to work, they have to be um, soaked in, in cold water. So we have baths in the workshop, and there are constantly um, these long strands uh, soaking in there. How many craftsmen are within that part of Soane, within that particular atelier? Well, we now have, I think we're just taking on two new apprentices. I think we're probably at about 14 now in total, if we include the finishers as well. It might even be a few more. So only 14 people? Yes. And actually, the really lovely thing is of those 14, we have three generations of, of the same family and others who are themselves third generation uh, weavers. So it, it's very much a local thing. Historically, it has always been in Leicester because that's where Elmore and Dryad, the first two English firms, were based um, because there were willow beds in Leicestershire. And so the craft of weaving willow and weaving rattan is quite similar. And so for no other reason, that is why Leicester became the base of, of English rattan. Now, was that particular studio in Leicester, was it the last or one of the last of the weaving concerns? When I was looking for somebody to copy the Edwardian sofa that I talked about earlier, a colleague w was searching with me and eventually was delighted to alight upon Angraves, who were the last rattan weavers in England. And we spoke to them about reproducing the sofa. They had about 35 employees, but most of whom were not weaving rattan in the traditional way. It was incredibly expensive to do because, of course, very labour intensive in, in terms of hours. And so they were really just um, assembling flat pack rattan that came in from Asia. So they were quite surprised that there was an interest in, in going back to traditional skills. They made for us for a few years, both copying old designs that I had bought and uh, new designs that, that I had drawn for them. And on the eve of their centenary, they went into liquidation, which was really tragic. And that led to a, a very quick decision to, to buy the machinery and re-employ the two traditional weavers who helped me set up the new workshop. And that was how many years ago? That was Christmas 2010, so 10 years ago. You know, what I think is also quite beautiful about Rattan is, you know, if you see it in a space as, say, it would have been used in Edwardian times or, say, in the 1940s by a, a pool in Miami, there's too much of a muchness. But if you see it in an interior now, you see designers really taking a table here, a chair there, a frame here to add a bit of lightness to the overall scheme. Oh, that's so true. And actually, one of the real challenges in the book was, was choosing 
contemporary uh, interiors that show how beautifully rattan can be used because designers, particularly in America, are doing really exciting things with rattan. And often it can just be the inclusion of, of one stool or uh, a bar cart. Uh, very, very simple. It doesn't need to be everything. I mean, I do love the look of those early rattan interiors where everything is in rattan. But at the same time, it's not necessary. And I think there's one image in the book that, that shows that really well. It's the, an image of designer David Netto's house, a Neutra house. And you, you see the inclusion of, of rattan there so beautifully as he says, humanizing the space. So I think that in the right hands, Rattan can do fantastic things, but often people have been, particularly in, in England, very reticent about including Rattan in interiors. They feel that it's a garden or at best, um, a conservatory material, and they're, they're nervous to mix it with really grand furniture. Lulu, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast to talk about your new Rizzoli book, Rattan, and to talk about Sewn and its Rattan creations. Thank you so much, Mitch. It's a great pleasure. And um, I, I could talk to you for hours about it. I think it's some, something we certainly have a shared love for. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wartsman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com. <laughs>